when you combine a, a love for sarcasm and a wicked, depraved, creative heart and a loud, undisciplined mouth, you pretty much have the makings of a verbal assassin. And that is what I was. I think I've mentioned that before. Growing, hopefully I'm not as bad now. But um, my gang I ran with, this is what we just did for a hobby. Our, our motto was say unto others before they could say unto you. And so we would pull and shoot on a regular basis verbally. And on, on occasion, somebody would shoot back. You know, you'd think up something really clever and you thought you had them down. And they'd come back with something that just blew you away. I mean, it was in, the, in a depraved way. It was incredible. It was ingenious. Uh, but it would, it would leave you breathless and you wouldn't know what to say. And everyone would kind of turn and look at you and like say, kind of top that, you know, and you're like, and you're, you're thinking quickly, you got to come up with something. And so what do you do? You come up with the old standby. Sticks and stones will break my bones, right? Not very creative, but you do what you got to do, right? But names will never Hurt me, yes, but that's so bogus, isn't it? That is so not true. If we were to do a survey, we're not going to this morning, where you would have you just talk to the person next to you and relate a time, we're not doing this, uh, relate a time when somebody said something to you that was very hurtful and you still remember today. I'm guessing that many of us would not hesitate. We would know right away. We would have a list, several things that we could say. Some maybe said this morning, some said a month ago, some said maybe 20 years ago. And they've never healed at all. It still stings to think about it. We know that reality, if reality is told, it would be sticks and stones may break my bones, but names. Now, they've got the power to emotionally cripple you and keep you from being everything that you're supposed to be and going where you could go. That's the power of, of the spoken word. Now, we want to go over a, a number nine Bible rhyme I want to teach you this morning. So it's a little bit of take on that, but it's hopefully done properly. And it should be that which is our takeaway from the number uh, nine commandment. And here's the rhyme. Words, not stones, break hearts, not bones. So truth and love will guide me. Can you say that with me? Words, not stones, break hearts. So truth and love will guide me. Okay, okay. Let's let's see if we can get we can really get your memory going this morning. Okay, words not break hearts, not bones. So truth and love will guide me. Okay, let's let's really test you. Words not break, not so truth and love will guide me again. Words not stones break hearts. I think you can see where we're going with this. Let's try this again, though, okay? (laughs) Words, not stones. Okay. One more time. Here we go. Words. Break hearts, not bones. So truth and love will guide me. This is the number nine Bible rhyme. And so if you have your Bibles, turn to Exodus chapter 20. We're at verse 16. The number nine, boy, the series has gone quickly. We are the number ninth commandment. We've talked about the ten. They are found in both Exodus uh, 20 and then again in Deuteronomy 5. God gave them just as the Israelites came out of, out of Egypt. He stopped them, gave them, gave them the, the commandments. 
Then they, remember, they hung out in the wilderness for 40 years, wandering around. Just before they went in the promised land, Moses reiterates them again in Deuteronomy 5. So we're looking, though, in Exodus 20. We're at verse 16. Now, we want to make just a couple of observations on, on this one as we camp on this, as we drill down just a little bit this morning, as we figure out what it says and what it doesn't say. The first thing we want to notice is what it doesn't say. Okay, we, 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 we would expect it if we followed context to say something along these lines. But let's look at context, okay? Number six was you shall not murder. Easy enough. Seven, you shall not adulterate. Eight, you shall not steal. If nine is following the structure, it should say, you shall not lie. Easy enough. But it doesn't say that, does it? Let's look at them again. Number six, you shall not murder. Notice there's no direct object there. It doesn't say who you can kill or can't kill. It just says no murder, period, right? You shall not adulterate. Again, no direct object. Number eight, you shall not steal. doesn't say when you can steal or where you should or from who you can't. It just says no stealing, period. But number nine, you shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. A little bit different. Now, this, this verse is not in relation to general line. We think, oh, this means thou shalt not lie. Well, you know, that's really not one of the commands. It's not, not part of it. Every one of these deals with your relation with someone else, not whether you stated the population of Argentina correctly in your report has nothing to do with that. Uh, It has nothing to do with lying in general terms. But lest you get confused or walk away saying, well, Pastor Mark believes in lying. I knew he's a liberal. Let's let's (laughs) let me let me just set that aside for a moment. Because Scripture does speak on this issue. And in, in our seniors' Bible study on Wednesday night, actually, this has been a, a topic that we're going to finish addressing this, this week. But there's a couple of scriptures on this. First of all, John 14, 6. And the Bible's got a lot to say about truth-telling as a whole. Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. The truth is just who he is. Truth. In John 17, 17, Jesus is talking, he's praying, and he says, God, I want you to sanctify them by the truth. Thy word is truth. Everything out of God's mouth, everything out of his core, everything out of his, his essence is not deceptive. No deceptive anywhere. It's all truth. He says in Titus 1, 2, Paul is talking. He says, Paul, he says, I'm the servant of God and the apostle of Jesus Christ for two reasons. For the faith of God's elect, people coming to know him. And for the knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness. Then he says, faith and knowledge resting on the hope of eternal life, which God, who does not lie, promised before the beginning of time. I don't have the verse, but Hebrews 6.18, if we were to look that up, it says that it's impossible for God to lie. You just can't do it. Jesus is talking in John 8. This is an interesting text, what he says here. Jesus talking to the Pharisees, he says, you belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Lots of of modeling out there, good and bad regarding this, but also you've got some direct commands. Ephesians 4.25 says, therefore... Each of you must put off falsehood. 
and speak truthfully to his neighbor, for we are all members of one body. Colossians 3, 9. Do not lie to each other. There you go, just straight up. Since you have taken off your old self with its practices. There's a lot the scripture says about lying, but you cannot go to Exodus 20, 16, ninth command, if you're trying to make a case against lying. You can't go there because that's not what it's talking about. What this verse is talking about is character assassination. The, the untruths, but, but in a different, different spin on them. Second observation. And we notice when we talk about number nine, that the commandments are taking another turn yet, that he's going to finish off completely with number 10 next week. But he begins to look at motivation here. The inference to, the, to this uh, text, this, this command, is maliciousness. Do not be malicious. And actually, if you look at a, a literal rendering, it's when questioned. This is a literal rendering of, of the, the text. When questioning, do not render a worthless judgment about your neighbor. A uh, worthless judgment. Now, what we want to do, what the goal is of our whole series, our whole study, is we want to look at what this meant to them and how they would have understood this. And then we want to bridge it and say, okay, how do we live this out? It's good, just basic Bible study principles. So as we look at their world for a minute, uh, you notice a couple things about the Israelites, just thinking who they are. These guys are living in community. I mean, they got a big commune going. Uh, they, they had been living in Egypt. They just came out of Egypt. They're nomads. They're all staying together. There's really no fences set up. So my flocks and your flocks kind of grazing in the same area. You can imagine some concerns could come up. Hey, that's, that's my goat, buddy. No, 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 that's mine. No, no, you're the fat one. You're that scrawny one. No, he didn't. So we could see that there could be some uh, rubbing the wrong way in, in time. Changing, moving boundary stones along, around was a common practice. Well, let me, let, me, let me ask you this. Let me put it personal for you. Have you, and you don't have to shake your heads too uh, quickly, especially if you have some relatives living in here or here today. But have you ever gone on an extended vacation with relatives? You done this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know what you're talking about, Mark. Yeah, yeah, you do. Uh, you're with them and you're having a good time at first because he's been looking forward to this. It's fun. But after a few days, you begin to talk behind each other's back about each other's children, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, you do. Yeah, you do. I know, I know. And you begin to talk about their values and their attitudes. And did you see the way she rolled her eyes and the way he didn't do this? And I would have. And we begin to talk. And we get on each other's nerves. And when the vacation's done, we're kind of happy it's done. All right, it's time. Now, can you imagine these guys? These guys were stuck together. I did a really dumb thing one time, many times, but, but one of the m- many dumb things that I did one time was I was a youth pastor. I went on a three-week mission trip with about 18 kids in two vans. We went through, if I can remember this, Iowa and Missouri and Oklahoma and Texas and Arizona, New Mexico and Arizona and Utah and Colorado, and North Dakota, and South Dakota, and we hit Wyoming in there somewhere, I'm not sure how, and Nebraska, and Minnesota. You'd think that we spent the whole time in the vans, and we spent a lot of time in the vans, but a majority of our time was actually spent on the Navajo Indian Reservation, Arizona-Utah border. We were living in tents, uh, in sand, sand in everything, among black, we saw black widow spiders, we would empty the shoes to try to make sure scorpions weren't with us. We saw rattlesnakes, right? We were putting up our tents. 
Uh, we had all of our meals that we, any, any meal that we ate that wasn't eaten at McDonald's, we all hated McDonald's before this was over, we ate at, at an open fire. We cooked out. And that may sound romantic, but that is really overrated. When you figure 18 teenagers over, it was just a, a mess. We worked all morning, worked afternoon, we worked in the evening. We were sleeping. The, the outhouse was really primitive. By the time we were done with this trip, we hated each other. Oh, man, I'm, in a major way. You wouldn't believe the talking. This was the, my cream guys. And you wouldn't believe the talking that was going on amongst and behind each other's back and to each other's face. And when we'd stop at a gas station, they would pick what van to get in based on who they liked least and where that were going. And I don't like any of these guys, but I like these guys a little bit more than I like those guys. And before we were done, they were trying to get in cars with strangers at the gas station. Just, get me out of here. I just don't want anything to do with these guys. We hated each. Now, you can imagine these guys. They're kind of in that same boat. They're living right next to each other for a long time. How might they begin to get on each other's nerves? And on, on top of that, their court system was a very unique court system. When you had an issue with somebody, you brought them to court, but their court was the elders of a town or that part of the caravan they were in. And they would bring it. That's my thick, big goat. No, he's got the scrawny one. But anyway, they'd bring it to the, to the elders, and the elders would have to decide. Keeping in mind that there's no DNA, there's no fingerprints, there's no high-powered lawyers you can hire to get yourself out of a mess, there's no appeal, there's no Fifth Amendment. Everything is going to be based on purely on testimony. You will either be acquitted or you will be found guilty on testimony. God knows that his people are going to be living in those situations. They're getting ready to, to be in a, a court situation like this. And so he tells them, Listen, when you're asked to talk about your neighbor, no worthless words. Important aspect. There were a couple of guidelines because he knows. God knows this situation and what's going on and the nature of our hearts. So he says, let me give you a couple of guidelines regarding testimonies about each other. First guideline has to have multiple testimonies to actually convict somebody. Deuteronomy 19.15 says, one witness is not enough to convict a man accused of any crime or offense he may have committed. A matter must be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. Uh, also, so, so you might be able to pay somebody off to come with you. You don't like Joe over here. You're going to pay somebody off to come and collaborate your stories and get Joe in trouble. However, second command in scripture we find on this, second guideline, that if you're found out doing that, the punishment that would have gone to Joe comes to you. So if it's a capital offense issue and they find Joe innocent, guess who gets stoned? Well, you do. If it's just a restitution issue and you're going to have to pay some money, well, guess who's going to have to pay it? Joe doesn't pay it. You have to pay it to him. So you're going to think twice about bringing a false charge or even a trumped charge or a partial true charge. You're going to think twice about it. And you're not going to find a lot of people to buy in with your story because they could get hung along the way. A third principle was this, if you did bring a charge against somebody and they were found guilty and it was capital offense, you had to be the one to throw the first stone. Now, think about what that might do to you psychologically. You know in the back of your head this person's not really guilty. But you have to go pick up a rock and walk up to this person and let it fly, knowing that you're sealing their death. I mean, God's really setting things up in the system as well as it can be in fallen people to preserve uh, integrity. 
Now, this would be something, though, that if you, throughout the prophets, this would be fodder for the prophets because this false testimony and seeing worthless things about each other was a common thing. Let me read you just a couple of texts. Don't have them on the screen. But we could go through the prophets and pull out a ton on this issue. Amos 5, he says this. He says, You who turn justice into bitterness and cast righteousness to the ground, you hate the one who reproves in court and you despise him who tells the truth. For I know how many are your offenses and how great your sins. You oppress the righteous and you take bribes. You deprive the poor of justice in the courts. Hosea says this. He says, but let no man bring a charge. Let no man accuse another. For your people are like those who bring a charge against a priest. Jeremiah 7, 9 says, will you steal and murder, commit adultery and perjury? Which is the line in court. Now, the, the number nine, certainly for these guys, remember back in their world, had application to their, their court system. For us, you, mean you might say, well, okay, good, listen, I go to court, I promise I'm not going to lie, I got this one down. Um, but the terminology in nine is ambiguous enough to, to not be limited purely to that. Uh, the, the, again, the word study says that this is not a non-truth, this is a worthless word. Well, think. What does worthless mean? It means worthless, doesn't it? Makes sense. It's saying that which does not bring worth to the individual. Well, it incorporates a lot. It may be a lie, may not be a lie, but it's saying that which does not bring worth to an individual. Jesus was either going to equate or closely associate this false testimony with slander. Look at this in Matthew 5:19. For out of the heart come evil thoughts. I think there should be a good colon right there because he's going to tell us what the evil thoughts are. Murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. Now look at those words just a little bit closer. Murder. It's number six, right? Adultery slash sexual morality. It's number seven. Theft. It's number eight. You've got false testimony slash slander. Number nine. Let me, let me do a parenthetical thing for a second. Sometimes we think Old Testament, Old Covenant, that's not for me today. And we are not under the Old Covenant today. However, that was the Bible that Jesus used and that the apostles used. And so much of the New Testament reflects going back. This is their theo- theological training. We can't forget that the Apostle Paul, 2 Timothy 3, sa- says that all scripture, he's talking about the Old Testament here. Is God breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for all good works. We can't just disregard the the Old Testament scriptures. There's direct application for us though we are not underneath the old covenant anymore. Now, again, this, this, uh, this whole idea of, I think, where God is, is why include this in his top ten is because man is created in his image. God, who's not afraid to mince words, God who will call sin, sin, also recognizes that the honor due man is to be preserved. A man's integrity, a man's reputation is not to be smeared. A man's name. These guys lived in a shame-based culture, which, which means that influ- influence was not something you bought. It didn't come with, with uh, power in business. It didn't come with awards. It didn't come with education. It didn't come with money. It came with righteousness. 
If you were a righteous person, that's when you had influence. And if you really wanted to hurt somebody, you challenged, you threw mud against their righteousness. And suddenly their name, their reputation is squandered. Their family could be socially quarantined, which was a pretty substantial thing here in this culture. Our name is not a generic thing. Well, when you're, here's something to, to keep in mind. This is kind of scary. But when your name is mentioned among your friends, when you're not in the room, they talk. Yeah, they do. I've heard them. They do. What do they say about you when you're not in the room? What, what images does your name engender? Now, let me throw some names at you. And you just make note of what comes into your mind when you hear the name Billy Graham or Adolf Hitler or Lady Gaga. I hope some of y'all don't know who Lady Gaga is. That's, that's all right. How about Bill Gates or Benedict Arnold? The name is either for the, for the progeny, it's either going to result in pride or it's going to result in shame. The name is incredibly significant. That's why Proverbs 22.1 says, A good name is more desirable than great riches. To be esteemed is better than silver and gold. Now, of course, with the name, it's not talking about a nice sounding name, a good name. Oh, that one sounds cool. Back when I was in my youth group, where I took the kids on that mission trip, almost killed them all. Um, the, the cool youth, we were okay youth group, but the cool youth group in town was the first assembly youth group. They always seemed to have a cool youth group. These guys had a great youth group. Matter of fact, they had a very large youth group, and, and, uh, their, but their name was Radical Love. That was not, I, I think, oh my goodness, what a dopey name. You're going to invite high school football players, you want to come with me to Radical Love? Oh, that's not going to work. But their reputation was so good. That the football players wanted to come to Radical Love because Radical Love was cool. It stood for something positive. The issue here is not how the name sounds. You know this. It's what it represents. That's why Proverbs 18.10 says the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to it and are safe. Uh, God's name it's not the name Yahweh. Sounds so, oh, that sounds good. I like the way that sounds. It is representative of his sovereignty and his grace and his forgiveness and his love and his commitment to protect his children. Uh, the name of the Lord engenders, if you know him, when you hear his name, it engenders positive, incredibly positive. It rings with your spirit, a, a, a good name. Now, how do you and I, let's get into our world a little bit more. How do we break? How do other people break? Because we wouldn't really do it. How do other people break number nine in our world? All right. Let me give you an example. Mr. Jones has been accused of robbing a bank. But you know that Mr. Jones did not do it. He didn't. Three people are questioned. And all three of them know that Mr. Jones did not rob this bank. First person questioned. Did Mr. Jones rob the bank? Number one says he absolutely did. Certainly he did. He did it. Okay. Number two, second person. Did Mr. Jones rob the bank? He says, well, I did see him in the vicinity. And knowing Mr. Jones as I do, I wouldn't put it past him. Number third person. Did Mr. Jones rob the bank? Now, which person lied? Which person broke number nine? All three of them broke number nine. Certainly. First one, easy enough, right? Pretty clear. 
straight out, completely opposite. He knew what was true and he said something opposite. Second person, and I'm guessing that this might be a temptation for some of us. Second person, sometimes he colored the story a little bit. He he stated what he saw and he kind of read in some some, uh, projection and conjecture, knowing him as I do. And he kind of tied the two together. Threw a little mud on Mr. Uh, Jones' reputation. I call this coloring the picture. Let me give you an illustration how this works. Not that we do this, but other people would do this. This is reality, okay? It's myself and some of my friends just hanging out. We're just hanging. This is what reality is. This is reality. But when I tell the story, see, sometimes I have a bad memory, and I tell the story, you know, not a whole lot of change happened. But somehow when I tell the story, the burden is just a little bit heavier. When I tell the story, uh, what I had to deal with is just a little bit worse than what it really was. When I tell the story, the other people were just a little less joyful. Not changing the story a lot. Matter of fact, I might believe this is really what it was. And when I tell it to you, if you weren't there, you're going to see this, won't you? But this is reality. You got color back. This is reality. But when I tell the story to you, you know what? Sometimes my bad memory gets going again. And when I tell you the story, those other people, let me tell you about those other people. They were foolish. They were goofy, superficial. They were messing around. They were, I'm, try, I'm, I'm the only one serious here. I'm trying to get something accomplished, but everybody else goofing around and they didn't care and they weren't serious and they were superficial and they were offering useless things. And when I tell you the story and I paint the picture this way, you're going to walk away. What? Seeing this. And you're going to go, oh, wow, man, the people you have to work with. Sorry, Mark, man, I'm, you have to deal with that. Yeah, I deal with that all the time around here. Oh, that's too bad. But this is reality. A little bit different than the picture I painted. Now, sometimes when I tell this story, um, Not, not that y'all would tell the story this way, but when you tell the story, you know, other people, those guys are just mean. Those folks try to hurt me. I'm just doing the best. I'm not perfect, but I'm doing the best I can. I'm committed to the Lord and I'm committed to his word and I'm trying here. But other people, oh, I know their hearts. I know what they're really, they might be smiling on the outside, but I know what's going on inside. And they're mean and they're cruel and they're angry and they said and they thought and they did. And I paint this picture to you. And if this is all you have, you're walking away going, oh. I thought Ruth was a nice person. Oh, no, no, let me tell you. No, you don't know the half of it. We paint the story a little bit different than reality. See, this is a reality. But when we paint the story, sometimes we paint it in such a way that we look like the hero, don't we? We look like the hero. <laughs> and this way is most subtle. See, because of this way, I'm not really taking shots directly to anybody else. I'm just telling you the truth here. Bottom line is, I came up with the idea that saved the day. And I had the wisdom and and I had the I kept this together here and I pulled everything together and I really made the greatest contribution. And when I say that, what am I saying? I'm saying that the other people are inferior to me. They're just not as sharp as I am. Where would they be without me? You know what I mean? And so I'm throwing mud against their reputations. We paint sometimes the stories we tell. How, How often 
Do we stop in our mind and say, okay, I want to tell this story like if the folk I'm talking to were sitting right here, they would say, that's absolutely right. Where we would represent ourselves, not just accidentally forget some things because they throw a bad light on us. And we wouldn't accidentally forget the good things that the others have done. But we would paint the story correctly. Now, the third person was uh, the person who was just quiet, silent. Now, this, this, is, this, this one's subtle, too, because we think, well, the other person is talking, but we didn't say anything. And, and, and this other person is going off and butchering this guy's reputation, but we, we didn't say anything. So we're thinking we're okay. But are we okay with that? Well, I, I, I'm not so sure. Leviticus 5.1 it says, if a person sins because he does not speak up when he hears a public charge to testify regarding something he has seen or learned about, he will be held responsible. Now, let me, I don't have this one on the screen, but this is, if you've got a pen, write this one down. This is Psalm 101.5. Excellent verse. It says, the psalmist says, whoever slanders his neighbor in secret, him will I put to silence. That's it. Let me say that again. What a great verse. Whoever slanders his neighbor in secret, him will I put to silence. Put the brakes on that one. Now, now application. How do, we, how do we live this out? What do we do? Well, a couple of things. First of all, we want to consider the cost. The cost that's involved with being loose with their tongues. Let me just, just say this too for just a moment. So I've been thinking this, this one through this, this week and... Chewing on it a little bit. It seems to me that a lot of the other commands we might keep and do, I just wonder if part of the reason why we keep and do them is because God's word says it or because, you know what, we're going to get caught or we're going to go to jail or we might get shot or who knows, bad things can happen to us. I wonder if that's the detriment more so than God's word because it seems to me with this one that there's no accountability really and we can be loose and free and let it fly and paint the picture however we want. And it's okay because that's the way I see it. That's my opinion. Even though God's word would tell us, don't do that. Don't do that. As we consider the cost, we recognize that it hurts. First of all, it hurts the subject. It hurts the person you're talking to. 1994, Rwanda. The Hutus were in uh, power in the government. They were in charge of the mass media. And they began to spread on their mass media a tale that the Tutsis were really nothing more than, and this is the word they used, cockroaches. And they continued to perpetrate that message. They were cockroaches. They were cockroaches. Well, what do you do with a cockroach? You step on it, right? Because it will destroy life. That's what it'll do. And so it wasn't too much longer before the, the general public started forming killing parties. And they say that the police force would kind of guard the, the, the gate to the city or the tribe while the people walked in there with their hoes and machetes and whatever they could find and murdered one million men and women and children. Sometimes they couldn't even tell exactly if they were Tutsis or Hutus, but they would just kill them because they lived in the wrong neighborhood because they were cockroaches. I wonder if that whole crisis would be averted if on the mass media they said these people are made in the image of God. And to be honored, we just disagree with them at this point. How different might their history be? You know, stories told of a businessman who, who was uh, 
solid, good, godly guy. But a story got out. And, and a gal heard the story and she just began, instead of going to him, asking him about it, she just began to tell everybody. Just about ruined his business. When he traced back where this was coming from and where it started from, he called her up to his 85th uh, story uh, office on the 85th floor. And he called her up and he said, hey, what, what are you doing? You've just about ruined my business. I'm going to get ready to claim bankruptcy here. And he shared with her the truth. And she said, oh, I'm so sorry. I didn't know. How can I fix this? He says, oh, you want to fix it? Yeah, I want to fix it. So he ripped open a feather pillow right there, opened his window and just dumped and for just a moment, they watched the feathers from 85 stories just kind of dissipate and go all over. He said, OK, this is what you need to do. You need to go down and collect every single one of these feathers. OK, and then come back up and we'll put them back in the pillow and then we'll, that will fix it. And she's obviously a bit confused, but she said, I, I, I can't do that. I mean, look at the wind. These things are all I, I'll never be able to get all of those. He said, that's right. You can't fix it. It, the, the, the rumors that have spread are too far out there. And even if you could try to go up and retract them, they left a stain. My reputation has been damaged. My, my name has been damaged. You can't fix it. You cannot fix it when you share something that's an untruth or something that would slander, that would hurt another person. This also hurts. This is something we don't think about. This hurts the person you're talking to when you share. Ephesians 4.29 it says, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. But look what he says here. But only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. In other words, your speech and mine needs to be considerate of the person we're talking to. Will this build them up? And quite often when we're sharing gossip, what we're doing really is, is we're, we're, you know, we're verbal assassins. We are taking the gun and placing it in their hand. Saying, go ahead, now it's your turn, you shoot. And most often they'll do it, won't they? We are hurting them, we are tempting them, we are taking down their spiritual life. We need to consider the cost, what this does to the body of Christ. Can you imagine a church where this is going on at all levels? I mean, who's trusting each other? Are you even focused on evangelism, reaching anybody? You're just ganging up on each other, tearing each other apart. We also need to consider the cost, what it does to the subject, what it does to uh, the person who hears, but also what it does to the one talking. Psalm 15, 1 through 3. What it does to you. Lord, who may dwell in your sanctuary? Who may live on your holy hill? Here's the answer. He whose walk is blameless, who does what is righteous, who speaks the truth from his heart, and has no slander on his tongue, who does his neighbor no wrong and casts no slur on his fellow man. The question is, God, who, who walks with you? Who can hang with you? God, who has intimacy with you? God says, OK, I'll tell you who. He who has no, no slander on his tongue, who casts no slur on his fellow man. That's who has intimacy with me. Nobody else. If the other person, let's just say they're a real jerk. Are they worth your walk with Christ? Because when you share in violation in number nine, worthless things about them, you destroy your own life spiritually. However of a jerk they've been, I'm not going to let them become more of a jerk by having them destroy my spiritual life as well. So we need to count the cost. We also need to do this. We need to discipline our ears. It's been said that mastery of the tongue 
begins with mastery of the ears. And when someone starts to share with you juicy things, things that are kind of fun to hear, you know, really? Here's the deal. To, to discipline our ears and put on the brakes and say, whoa, 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 hang on, hang on, hang on. Have you talked to him about this? Have you talked to her about it? Because you know what? I don't need to be hearing this. This is going to hurt me spiritually. And I don't need to go down that road. You need to do biblically what you're supposed to do. But that does not include me. Now, let me ask you. If you were ever to share and somebody pulled that on you, wouldn't that make you do a double take? Maybe that's what we need sometimes to catch us, stop us in our tracks. Because a lot of times we don't know what we're doing here. We're not conscious of it. But to stop us and save us from hurting ourselves spiritually and hurting the other person spiritually. We need to, to discipline our ears. We also need to discern the message. Remember the color of the picture? You ask yourself, I wonder if this person is coloring it. Or maybe they're telling it exactly correct the way they heard it, but the person in front of them colored it. Or the person before them colored it. However many, many generations it goes back. Am I, am I seeing and hearing the exact reality? Don't you wonder, sometimes I do, how many things I think about other people or other places or other churches. Or how many things I think that are actual reality or what I'm thinking has been colored so uh, uh, horribly or minor twist where it's just not reality. We need to discern the message. And then the fourth thing, we need to determine to have speech that's guided by truth and love. Ephesians 4.15. This, this is a great verse. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head that is Christ. Now, look at the text. Doesn't it seem to say that when I'm committed to speaking the truth in love, I grow. I grow. Truth without love. That's just straight up mean. Sometimes that's, that's gossip. Love without truth is flattery. Gossip is stuff we would say behind someone's back that we would never say to their face. Flattery is stuff we'd say to their face that we'd never say behind their back. Both are equally damning. Both will destroy a church's influence. It would keep the, the however bright our light could be for the community. It would dim it. We, can't, we cannot allow slipshodness with number nine. And we all are, are at fault. We are all at fault. All can fall relates to every one of these commands. But it has to be one that we're pursuing to keep. The Bible rhyme. Words, not stones. Break hearts, not bones. So truth and love will guide me. Here's the challenge. Would you seek to commit to keeping number nine? For the rest of your days. I know we're not going to, after it's all said and done in the scope of eternity, we're not going to be down here that much longer in all honesty. But the rest of the time we're down here, we're going to keep number nine. If that would be your commitment, would you say with me, words, not stones, break hearts, not bones, so truth and love will guide me. I thank you, Lord, because you see our sin. You know so much more dirt on us than anybody else could possibly know. And yet you're committed to us. And yet you're the one who, who says that we're to guard each other's reputation. 
not to steal their, their life or their wife or their stuff or their reputation. And I'd pray for myself and my brothers and sisters here. Lord, you, you tell us that the world will know that, that we are your disciples by our love for one another. And our speech and our love is directly, they're directly tied. Would you, would you show us, would you show me even this week, oh God, we'd reflect Jesus, we'd reflect you in our, what we say, what we listen to, what we repeat. And God, may we color the story, may we try, oh Lord, with exact reality. This week in the name of Jesus, amen. Amen.